as I look at our world today, maybe it's just me, but I really doubt it's just me. We live in a world that is filled with confusion. Amen? Amen. I mean, just look at this week. Like, election day was like Groundhog Day. It was like election day again, and it was still another election day, day after day. It was just like, oh my goodness, the amount of confusion and information and not knowing who to believe. And so I don't even want to go there. I'll just leave it at that. Like we live in a world that's marked with confusion. And beyond Washington, D.C., that is definitely a very confusing place. Just look at our world. There is all kinds of moral confusion. There is even now gender confusion. There is identity confusion. There is purpose Confusion, like everywhere that you look, and I'm convinced that in the church, it's not an exception. There is all kinds of confusion in the church. Too many people are confused about what the church actually is or why the church even exists or why you should even be a part of a church. And as I look at all of the confusion, um, I've heard it described this way, a, a light mist in the pulpit will be a deep fog in the congregation. So what that means is if the people that are leading, and so if the pastor is a little bit confused, if it's a little bit murky for him, then ain't no one going to get it. It's not, it's not going to communicate. There has to be absolute, complete clarity from those leading with complete focus on what is the vision, why are we here, where are we going, with no confusion whatsoever, so that the church can follow. Otherwise, all you have is just more confusion and chaos and and, and I doubt it's just me. Again, when I look at the church landscape of our country, I see so much disappointment in the church. I see so much pain from the church. I mean, even with our own members, it seems like almost everyone is coming from some sort of church hurt. And so many people, including here in Bell County, are struggling with the church. And the result of this confusion is what leads people being hurt instead of being shepherded and loved and led well to know God and to enjoy him, to be on mission. What you have is far too many that are just left uninspired and untaught that results in being disengaged. I believe that we need a fresh vision with complete clarity on what the church is at her essence. If you look at Ephesians 3 verse 10, it says that the church reveals the wisdom of God. It says it reveals the manifold wisdom. Now manifold is kind of an older word. But manifold just means multi-sided, kind of like a prism or a diamond. A prism is manifold. It's one, but it has many different sides to it. And when you shine light in it, it just 
brightly shines all of these colors. And so God's glory, his wisdom is described as being manifold, multi-sided, multidimensional, brilliantly shining. And so it says that the church reveals that about God. And then same chapter, Ephesians 3.21, says to God be glory in the church. Man, it seems to me that too many have a very small vision of the church. You can take it or leave it. I have some brothers that I love that are out hunting this weekend, and I know it's, I'm learning, I'm learning now that this is like a big deal. This is like, we shouldn't even be gathering today because we should all be out hunting. It's opening weekend from what I hear. And I was reminded, how could you schedule a members meeting on opening weekend? I'm like, "Uh, no, for next time. Now I know hunting is a thing where we live. I'm learning. Man, but even these brothers are like, Matthew, even though we plan these trips like far out in advance, like months, months in advance before they even came to this church, they're on live stream right now. Like they're watching us, they're, in, <laughs> they're all hunting, watching the live stream. Like it's crazy. Church is not optional. Church is essential. I don't care what they say in Washington about, or in Austin about churches not being essential. That is a lie from hell. Because the church is the display of the glory of God. This, what we see here, gathered here together, it's eternal. What's happening in this moment, we can't see into the spiritual realm, but what is happening, what is going on right now has eternal implications for the hearts and the minds of the people of God. And as we are mobilized to be on mission in Bill County and in the world, and Book of Revelation captures the final culmination of what the church is going to experience one day. We've been in Revelation. Today we're not in that series, but I want to read to you a couple of verses. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is the future of where the church is going. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. A multitude that no one could number of every people group, every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered together praising Jesus for eternity. That is the church. That is what you are a part of. God's destiny for his creation is culminated on, centered in the church. You cannot become who God is calling you to be apart from the church. If you are trying to follow Jesus outside of the church, you are doing it outside of God's purpose, outside of what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to establish a missions parachurch organization. Jesus did not come to establish a social justice center. 
Jesus did not come to just establish seminaries. Jesus came to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against her. It's all about a people that he is gathering that are in awe of him, who have his spirit, who are being transformed, that then take it to the enemy as they're released into the world for Jesus. Jesus came to proclaim the good news and then die to fulfill it so that he could gather a people. So the question for a renewal church is very important. And the question is, will we be healthy? Will we be a healthy church? And being a healthy church is only possible if we are, again, displaying the radiant glory of God. We've been in this series in Revelation learning from the word on what a church looks like when she is radiating the glory of God. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, unless the leadership has a clear vision and knows what the church is and what she's supposed to be, if, if there's no clarity from the leadership, the church has no chance of being healthy and of displaying God's glory. A church can only be as healthy as her leadership. That's where it starts. And then from there, the leadership is designed to disciple and mobilize and equip and encourage and, again, release into the world. And that's why our mission statement is that we see people made new in Jesus and then grow in Jesus and released into the world for Jesus. And the leaders are the ones that are designed to cast that vision and to mobilize and to make it happen. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. A one-week suspension of our Revelation series, but it's in the same flow. We're talking about church leadership. So we're understanding biblical church leadership, which is critical for us to display God's glory. So we'll be in Acts 20. As you look it up, let me give you some brief context that you can read on your own here in Acts, but I'll just tell you so that you're up to speed as we start reading it in Acts 20. The Apostle Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. Now, that, that city might sound familiar to you. It was the first letter that Jesus sent to, to the seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was the biggest city. And so we, we looked at them a few weeks ago, how Jesus wrote to them that they lost their first love. Well, they had been taught by Paul. So a generation later is when they had made theology their end and had stopped loving Jesus and loved learning about Jesus more. And so it's that same church, but this is much earlier. When Paul was there, living there for three years, preaching and leading in the church of Ephesus, he then left modern-day Turkey and went to Greece to do more preaching and more church planting there. Then, if you read in Acts, you see the churches in Jerusalem had a major need. They were very poor and being persecuted. So Paul raised money among the Greeks to then take that offering to their fellow brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And on his way back to Jerusalem to deliver this offering from the Greek churches, he stops in Miletus. 
Now, Miletus is a town that's on the coast, about 30 miles south of Ephesus. So he goes to Miletus, and it says that he calls the church leaders from Ephesus. Remember, he left a year earlier, but he had spent three years there. So he knew these guys. He served with them. Likely, he trained them as elders, church leaders, and he calls them. And Acts 20, beginning in verse 17, describes this conversation. The conversation Paul had with these church leaders, urging them to be men of God who will lead the church to display the glory of God. So Acts 20, verse 17, through the end of the chapter, describes this encounter. So let's read that together. Now from Miletus, he, being Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, so he calls the elders, and now he addresses them. Verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to the God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken 
that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Our God in heaven, this morning as we are gathered, we are your people, obtained by the blood of your own son. We are a blood-bought people, and we belong to you, and we love you because you have first loved us. And you have given us this privilege of following you together. And you have called men to lead in the church. And so this morning, Father, as, as we consider what it means to have pastors and elders, that you would be at work in convicting us and in shaping us to be a church that is truly found to be faithful and healthy, that displays your character. We're hungry for you. And we just ask that you would truly bless this time and be at work in our hearts. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Powerful text. I can't unpack all of it, but we will look at this by looking at four key questions about church leadership. The first two questions are much more foundational biblical questions from the text. And the second two are much more brief towards the end. And those last two questions are more of the application, more of like what it looks like in the life of our church. Question number one, who does God call to lead in a church? So who does God call to lead in a church? We just read it says that the Holy Spirit called these men. And so we see that it is God who calls, but the question is who? Who does God call? to lead in the church. Well, there are three words in this text that describe leaders in the church. So the first word is shepherds. You could put pastors in there because a shepherd is a pastor. They mean the exact same thing. It's the same word. A shepherd is a pastor. And so the first word here is shepherds. Verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock Flock are sheep. So pay attention to the sheep in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he says to care for the church of God. So it belongs to God. But he tells them to care for. Now that word there, care, if you care about Greek, the word is poimino. What that word is translated, care or shepherd. It's the same word. And so we have to pick in English, when we translate it, do we use the word shepherd or do we use the word care? And so translators pick the best word that communicates that meaning. But a shepherd is someone who cares. And so to shepherd means to care. So when he says here, he says as overseers to care for the church of God, he's describing a shepherding the church of God. And it's the exact same word, which is why it says flock in the same sentence. So care for the flock. Who does that? Who cares for the flock? A shepherd. A pastor. That's what the word means. So God is calling pastors, shepherds, to lead a church. Note, he does not call CEOs to lead a church. He doesn't call executives 
to lead a church. He doesn't call business managers to lead a church. He doesn't. He doesn't call administrators to lead a church. He doesn't call really sharp, slick, young bucks. He calls pastors. He calls shepherds to lead a church. And he calls them that on purpose. It says that this flock that pastor to shepherd, it says that we're obtained with his own blood. That is significant. That we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. So we are redeemed and we belong to him. And this word shepherd is not new. It's not random. It's in the Old Testament, and it's been there in the whole Bible. So I'll give you one example. Ezekiel 34 is the text that describes the Old Testament shepherds of Israel. And God calls these men, they were called to lead his people, shepherds. But the problem is that they didn't shepherd. They abused the sheep, God's people. So they were supposed to care for God's people and teach them, it says, and bind the injured and track down the strays. But instead of loving and, and shepherding and caring for God's people, they were harsh and corrupted and abused their power, abused their authority, their influence. And so, and this is again, Ezekiel 34, verse 10, for example, it says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. He's angry with the shepherds because they're not caring for his sheep. And then verse 15, same chapter, it says, I, this is God, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. They're mine. And I'm going to shepherd them myself. Same chapter, verse 23, he says, and I will set up over them one shepherd. It is the son of David who will be the shepherd over his people. So in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. When Jesus says that, it's not in a vacuum. It's not random. It's not the first time. This has been from the very beginning God's purpose. Jesus is the good Shepherd, I don't have time because this is going to be long anyway because there's a lot to cover. But we could do a biblical theology of, of shepherds from Genesis to Revelation. If you're here over the summer, you know, I'm not kidding. I actually can't do that. Like, we really can take a theme and trace it from Genesis across the whole Bible See how it's fulfilled in Jesus, culminates in Revelation, and it applies to us today. Did a whole series called Tapestry. We looked at all these different threads, one every week. Well, we could do shepherding, where it begins in the garden, where Adam, in a very real way, was called to be a shepherd, but he failed. 
And so God appointed more shepherds. Jacob was the shepherd. Moses was the shepherd. David was the shepherd. We could keep going. He appointed shepherds over his people. And at every single point, they all failed to shepherd the sheep of God. And so then the final and ultimate good shepherd came. The good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, fulfilling what Adam failed to do along with everyone else down the line. And Jesus fulfilled it, and he is gathering his sheep, his flock of all nations, for his glory. He is the good shepherd. And this good shepherd appoints under shepherds sheep, but sheep that are called to shepherd the rest of the sheep under the authority of the chief shepherd, who being fellow sheep, fellow humans, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, these fellow brothers are called to shepherd the sheep for Jesus. So God is calling shepherds, pastors, to shepherd for his glory. Fulfilling his purpose. And so who is called to the church? Shepherds. Second word here is called elders. Verse 17, it says that Paul called for the elders of the church of Ephesus. And so he calls his church leaders pastors, shepherds, and he calls them elders. Now, the word literally means older ones. That's what the word means. And so the word there is actually presbyteros. And so where you get the word presbyterian. Because Presbyterians have elder-led church government. But the word doesn't mean a denomination. That's what's been applied like that today. But, but the word just, what the word means is older ones. And so what that word means is those that have wisdom and experience. It doesn't give an age. It doesn't say you have to be 39 years old. It doesn't say that. It just says Older ones. And again, it's not random. And it's not new with the New Testament. This is rooted in the Old Testament. Because if you look at the tribes of Israel, before you had a king, it was ruled by elders who ruled individual tribes of Israel. So the 12 tribes were led by elders. And so this is a historical, deeply rich word in redemptive history that God used elders to lead his people, and now he's applying it to his people still in the church, and they're still called elders. So the word is not random. It's rooted in the purposes of God. And so what this is communicating is church leaders ought to be shepherds who care for and love the sheep, and they're called to be elders who have wisdom and experience and maturity who can be examples of following Jesus. Now, you also have another word that's in here, number three. He calls them overseers. Verse 28, he says, shepherd the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says, the Holy Spirit has made you, not man, God has made you overseers. And this is the same word, that different author, but same Bible, same spirit inspired it. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, 
He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so Paul is using the same word that Luke used when he wrote Acts, describing overseers. And so the word overseer means to watch over or to oversee, to have leadership over. And so this word carries the weight of spiritual leadership, spiritual authority. And so this is describing the authority that it belongs to God, but under God's authority, pastors, elders are called to, to have authority and to lead. And so they're called overseers. So there's three descriptions, pastors, elders, overseers, same office, three words that are interchangeable that each in their own way describe a different element of pastoral ministry, being a pastor. So the word shepherd carries a sense of caring for and feeding and loving. And, and so that's what that communicates. But overseer communicates leadership. And elder communicates wisdom and insight and experience, all of which are needed to lead a church. So who does God call to lead a church? Well, biblically qualified men that are called by God to serve as pastors and elders. So I'll say that again. Biblically qualified men that are called by God, it says here, by the Holy Spirit, who serve as elders and pastors. Now, I know what some of you just thought. You're like, wait a second, did he just say qualified men? And you're wondering, does that mean that we're excluding women from being elders or from being pastors? So there are two key words here that we're going to talk about. Not brief, not long. It has to be brief because this could be a, a whole sermon by itself. And there's just no way. But I want to give you just an overview. One word here is called egalitarian. Like, how do you spell that? Sound it out. E starts with an E. Egalitarian. It comes from the Latin word that means the same. So if you speak Spanish, what is the word for the same? Igual. Igual means the same. Because Spanish is Latin-based, just like this word comes from the Latin. And so it's like egalitarian. Egalitarian means the same, sameness. And so what the egalitarian position means is that men and women have the same roles in the home and in the church. So there's a lot to be said, a lot to unpack in the Bible on whether and why I believe that is not a biblical position. But suffice to say, for this sermon, with the time that it already is, I encourage you, don't look at the time, because that's not going to help you. <laughs> Egalitarian position, churches that hold to that will have women as elders, women as pastors, and women that will preach the word in the gathered assembly. And so that would be an egalitarian position, meaning the same, the same roles for men and women. Now, the other position is called complementarian, so as into complement. So complementarian, that I believe firmly is the biblical teaching that men and women have complete equality. This is very important. Completely equal image bearers of God equal value 
and yet have different but complementary roles. This is important, okay? Equal value but different roles in the home and in the church. And so here at Renewal, the current pastoral leadership does not affirm an egalitarian position. We don't. We affirm a complementarian biblical position where we do not have women as elders and we will not have women as elders. We will not have women as pastors. We will not have a woman who will do what I'm doing right now, which is proclaiming the word. That, that's not going to happen at Renewal Church. And so I don't want any false advertisement or bait and switch. I want full transparency that we are an unapologetically complementarian church. We believe that God has called men to lead their families. That God calls men to lead in the church. And we have women that serve in this church at every level, except for elder. We have women that, you see, use their voices to sing and to play. We have women that lead with hospitality and with setup and in so many prayer teams. And so women that are serving and that are vital without women that serve using their gifts and their talents, this church could not exist. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. We would fall flat on our faces without the amazing women of God who serve in this church. And so if you're a woman in this room, you need to know that you are valued and you are treasured and you matter. And we need more women that will take up their calling and to lead with how God has called them to do so, including in this church. But we just do not believe that that is the position of elder or pastor is a distinctly male role. And here's why. Because in your home, you were called husbands to spiritually lead your wives and your children. So if the church is, and it is, the family of God, and we have God as father, and we are all brothers and sisters who serves as the father figures in the church? Elders. Elders serve as the father figures. And so if you have women who serve as the father figures in the church, then it just corrupts and it frustrates and it, it no longer is following God's design for a complementarian view of men and women having equal but complementary Different roles, equal value, different roles. So we need more women to step up and fulfill their calling as women and more men to step up in the home, in the church, to do what they're called to do. And by the way, when we're talking about shepherding or being a pastor, being an elder, overseeing, as a father, that is your role in your home. You were called to shepherd your wife and to shepherd your children, to care for them, to track them down when they're straying, to bind them when they're wounded, to listen to them, to love them, to sacrifice for them, to lay your life down for those sheep that Jesus has entrusted to you. That's your wife and your children. 
We have too many selfish fathers that will not lay their life down for the sheep in their home. We're called to reflect the glory of God, the glory of Jesus as men. And that is a sacrificial, leading, loving, caring. This is your calling as a man to do it at home. And in the home of God, in the church of God, in the family of God. And so who does God call to lead in the church? Biblically qualified men who will serve as elders and pastors. Number two, what is the role of a church elder? Let me give you these. I won't go long. I know what time it is. Four traits of what an elder does, your role as a church elder. One is lead under the authority of God. So leading under God's authority. And so you, you see that in verse 28, pay careful attention, and he says, you're an overseer, made by the Spirit, and so to care. So the sheep belong to God. Sheep purchased by the blood of Jesus, they're not mine. You don't belong to me. This is not Matthew's church. And when I hear that phrase, it like, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Like, just, I can't handle hearing anyone call renewal. Oh, that's Matthew's church. No, she's not. She belongs to Jesus. She was bought by him. You You don't belong to me. Shepherds never owned the sheep. Understand something. When Jesus said that they're his sheep and he's his shepherd, that was radical. Because the shepherds were the hired hands. They didn't own the sheep. The owner didn't shepherd his sheep. He had hired hand that did that. But with Jesus, he owns the sheep, and he gets his hand dirty, loving his sheep. A shepherd should smell like the sheep. Because he's with them, and he knows them. As a pastor, any authority I have to lead is not mine. This is the authority. The authority is the word of God. And any authority that I would have is entrusted to me only because I am under the authority of the Bible. The inerrant, infallible, inspired. Word of God. This is the authority, God's word. So pastors lead under the authority of God. And the pastor that is no longer under the authority of the word needs to be removed. He has no business leading if he's not under the authority of the word. So pastors lead under the authority because the sheep aren't his The sheep belong to Jesus. He is simply a steward. What do pastors do? We don't have authority of God. Number two, we teach the word of God. You saw it in verses 18 through 21, where Paul says that he did not hold back from teaching them. He says, in public and in the homes, you know, the full counsel. So he says, I've been teaching you. I have a clear conscience. I have not held back for three years. I have been teaching and preaching, just like Jesus told Peter, feed my 
sheep. Same thing here. Paul says, I've been feeding you, I've been teaching you. And so what does a shepherd do? He teaches the word of God. Number three, what does a shepherd do? Care for the people of God. What the word means, shepherding means caring. And that's why you see in verse 35, he says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Help those that are hurting. Bind the broken. Care for the people. A shepherd, as I said, must smell like the sheep because he actually has time for them, which is why we don't have a lot of programs around here because I need the time to actually be a shepherd and not a CEO over programs. All we have is programs. I'm managing programs. I won't have time for you to shepherd you, to care for you. I don't want to be so busy that I don't have time for the people of God. A shepherd is called to care for the people of God. And last thing before, a shepherd is called to model the character of God. Now, this text doesn't explicitly say modeling, but if you look at 1 Peter 5, which we'll look at in homeroom's this week, it says, be examples to the flock. This is the idea of we are examples. We model what it is to follow Jesus. Now, not perfection, but still what it looks like. We model it. And here's the character. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, to be above reproach, able to teach, not a new convert, sober-minded, self-controlled, not given to drunkenness, not a lover of money, husband of one wife, having obedient children. That's a hard one. Manages family well, respectable, hospitable, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, good reputation with outsiders. Did you notice that this list, there's very little skill in it? We think of pastors and we think of what they can do, right? The Bible describes who they are. A pastor and elder is supposed to have the character of God. There's exactly one skill. Did you catch what the one skill is in this whole list of character traits? Able to teach. That's it. Everything else is character. It's heart. It's who you actually are. What you're modeling, that's the point. Able to teach because that's your calling as a shepherd is to feed the sheep. Man, there is so much in here and our time is all but expired. Let me, let me read to you one verse from here that describes the heart of what God is looking for in pastors and elders. When Paul talked about how he knows that he's going to suffer. And he says in verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to me, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Sold out men that say, my life is a little value to me if it's not focused on Jesus and his gospel. That is the heart of an elder. 
That is the heart of a pastor. That is the heart of what men are supposed to be. Because honestly, an elder is just a mature man. That's the bottom line. Every man in this room should aspire to have the qualities of an elder. It's very humbling. And it's a high calling, high honor, high responsibility. Let me finish up with the last two quick questions, which is more of the application. Number three. So what is the plan for our church? So what's the renewed church plan for elders? Well, in Titus 1, it describes how Paul told him to appoint elders. And so right now we have two elders. We have myself, lead pastor, and Colton White, who preached last week, he's our associate pastor. So we have two pastors, two elders, overseers. Remember, same office. We have two. I pray that we can expand that. And we're now beginning the process to pray and to look for men that God is calling, that we can begin to train and show them how to be elders and shepherds. And that we can then add lay pastors. A lay pastor is a pastor, an elder on the elder body who is not paid. He's a, not a vocational pastor. But he's still going to be, they will be members of the elder body along with Colton and with me. And so as the lead pastor, the language often have called first among equals. Equal meaning that if we have a decision and a vote, I don't get two votes. I get one. Like, all elders will get just one vote. Like, it's not weighted. And so I'm a elder on the elder body. So in that sense, it's completely equal. But the idea of first among equals is that because as the pastor that is called to primarily teach and to preach, oftentimes in some churches this is called the, the pastor of vision and preaching or vision and teaching in some churches. But that's a long title. So we just go with Lee Pastor. But that's the heart of it. It's a, someone who is called to be the one that is leading and casting a vision and preaching. But within that, it's an elder body of men that hold each other accountable and are real with each other and are shepherding together. So I pray that men in this room will rise up and become elders, become lay pastors who will learn to teach and preach and shepherd and lead and care for this church so that we can be healthy. So that's where we're headed, beginning in 2021, the process of identifying and training men to become elders. Last question before, as we wrap up, how can you contribute towards this? Well, as in a home group this week, we're going to be praying about this. Tonight, members will be praying about this. And if, and if you are not a man that's a member of this church, then you can pray that God will raise up men that can be elders and encourage the men to become the kind of men that would have that character, that, those qualities. And if you desire to be an elder, come talk to me or Colton. We can begin to talk to you and to begin training you. This church is special. You have to know this. I know this. This is what I do. I've been doing this for a while. This church is special. And it's a privilege to be a part of it. And I can't wait. I'm just so excited. I can't wait to see how God continues to work through us.